Let's uh, bow in prayer before we look into this morning's passage of Scripture. Our Father, we do acknowledge You to be holy. You are separate. You are the one who is unlike any other. For You are the source of all things. You are the one who stands and rules over all of what is in existence, and you have created it, it belongs to you. And you, in and in you, we find nothing that is evil or corrupt or twisted or distorted. Lord, we do offer our humble praise to you as our holy God. Thank you that you, by your Holy Spirit, have given us a word that is set apart. It is unique. It is, there's nothing like the Word of God uh, put into human language and that which is reliable and true and uh, stands the test of time that reveals your mind to us. So help us, we pray, as we look into your Word, that you might teach us of yourself, that we might learn to appreciate all the more our Savior Jesus Christ and what it means to live for your glory. We pray in his name. Amen. It's a really odd scenario that unfolded years ago during Jesus' ministry. He is being celebrated by a large number of his followers. They are really in a very joyous mood, and they are celebrating him, and they are with great joy, loudly praising him, something that you would think would be a welcomed uh, thought to have something like that happen. It certainly was appropriate and worthwhile. And yet, a group of religious leaders, people who were very morally upright, people who were very religious, but they really were not that fond of Jesus, urged Jesus to deal with this crowd and to shush them, to make them sort of uh, get back into their right response, to rebuke them, actually, to chastise them. And to here are these very religious, pious people responding to a group of people who are praising Jesus by saying, listen, you need to shut this thing down, Jesus. This is really not appropriate. I find it very interesting that Jesus' response to that request, as they told him, listen, rebuke these people, put them in their place. Jesus said this, I tell you, if this people become silent, these stones, and I think he's pointing now to the wall around Jerusalem, he's probably pointing to the massive stones that Herod had excavated, that many of them are 36 tons uh, in weight, uh, he's pointing to the massive uh, Herodian temple that's there, all made out of stone. He says, these stones will cry out if that group of people stop praising him. That's a fascinating response for Jesus to say. He's reminding people who have no joy, people who have no desire to praise God, he's reminding them that all of creation is currently and has been since the day it was made, 
praising the Creator. Offering worship, offering honor to the One who made all things. As a matter of fact, when you think about what Jesus said to this group of people, it becomes clear that people who don't praise God are really out of sync with the whole universe. Indeed, creation is much more in tune with heaven than oftentimes we are. Because if you go backwards in the time frame of long before you and I ever existed, going back before even time, and then you look forward into the future long after we are no longer here in this earth, after we die, there is a reality that goes on in heaven and has been going on and always will go on in which it's described as endless numbers of God's creatures bowing before Him, endlessly involved in praise and thanksgiving and worship before Him. We read in Revelation 5 that a voice of many angels numbering thousands and thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, which is the uh, way of describing an endless number, a number that's so vast we can't even describe it. They encircled God's throne, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then the writer of Revelation goes on to say, And then I heard every creature in heaven Every creature on earth, every creature under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever. So I ask you, is it any wonder and is it any surprise that in the pages of Scripture, God continually is encouraging and promoting the idea that people who are made in His image, who are made by Him and made for Him, that they would join their voice with the voices of all the other aspects of His creation in giving Him glory and praise and honor. Indeed, when you think about it, when we're not praising Him, our lives are sort of out of sync and not operating the way we've been designed to operate. Years ago, I came upon a situation where we have garage door openers that work just like, it's great. They've been working this way for 25 years, I think, ever since they were installed when we moved in. And the garage door opening, you push a button, and boy, that thing just raises up. And you push the button, and it just goes right back down. And time after time, that's what it does. And one time, we'd had a, an ice storm years ago, and there was a collection of water that frozen at the base of that garage door, and it was stuck. So I pushed the button not knowing that, and uh, not knowing it was completely stuck and frozen. And the motor turned on, <clears throat> heard a little clunk, and then we saw the chain move, but nothing was doing anything. But their motor was running. And what had happened inside there was all those little plastic gears that transfer the energy from the motor to that chain to make it go. 
they were all stripped and weren't working. That's sort of a metaphor of what it's like when we as people are not uh, focused on praising God and having the praise of God within our hearts and uttering unto God the praises that are, He is worthy to receive from us. In a sense, we are out of sync with what is the normative for the reality of our world. I want us to look this morning at Psalm 113 and uh, just try to glean some insights here from this rich psalm. It's only nine verses long, so uh, hopefully we won't be here for more than the afternoon or evening. But um, there are three important insights, I believe, into really our purpose in life. One of the primary purposes of why we're here, why we exist, and that is to offer praise to the Lord. Follow along as I read from Psalm 113. It's page 738 in the Pew Bible, if you'd like to read along as we, as, uh, we look into God's Word. Praise the Lord, which in Hebrew is hallelujah. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is enthroned on high? Who humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and the princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'd like to look at this text again with three uh, primary observations. The first is, who is to be praised? The text seems to emphasize again and again, if you look at a passage of Scripture, it is one of the things we ought to be keep our eyes out for. Is, is there something being repeated here in this passage? Is there a word or there, is there a combination of words that seems to be repeated a number of times? And if you've noticed in this particular text that the name for God here, Lord, which in the Hebrew is Yahweh, Jehovah, is repeared, appears here at least eight times. And then the phrase, the name of the Lord, appears three times. Now in the ancient Middle East, the name, the name that someone is given, the name of a person is a really big deal. And uh, I think it's a much bigger deal than what we uh, place upon it in today's world. Uh, many people in as parents uh, go through the process of thinking through what they're going to name their children, and we did the same thing, we, we sort of take time and say, well, what sounds right with the given name, the, the last name they're going to have, and uh, the combination of the names and whatever, and can it be pronounced by the child or whatever. Um, some people like unique names, so people pick a name that is the name of a relative, someone that is beloved and respected and honored. We want to sort of remember that person, so they give them a middle name or the first name. But in biblical times, a name had a different function. A name disclosed something about the character of the person who bore that name. And so God, 
named himself. And when he spoke, he revealed his name that he had chosen for himself and reveals it to his people. And God's name and his character are revealed through the names that he has chosen for himself. So when it comes to this name in this particular text, the name Yahweh, or translated mostly probably in your Bible, uh, in your English Bible, it is translated capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D. How many of you have that in your translation in front of you? It's all caps, L-O-R-D. Okay, most, most of you do. That is the way the translator in the English version is trying to tell you that this is the translation of the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, which comes from the verb to be. And if you translate it generally, it is rendered as, I am the one who is, and I am the one who will be. I am. This is the name that God, of course, told Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses is looking for every excuse in the book to say, okay, God, not me. I'm not up for this assignment. I don't want it. I wasn't seeking it. I didn't know this was something you'd ever ask me to do, and no one's ever going to believe that you're telling me to go and carry out this assignment. So he says, who am I going to supposed to tell all these children of Israel is sending me on this mission to take them out of bondage? And God's response to him was this. He says, you tell them, I am who I am. I am has sent you, the God who is, the God who will be. This name tells us some important insights about the uniqueness of God. It tells us, first of all, the name the Lord, translated the Lord or Yahweh. It tells us that God is a person. His attribute of being a person is so different than the concept that many other religions have about their so-called God. In the, in the religion of Buddhism, for example, their God is really nothing more than an impersonal force or some sort of power that is made up of all living things that holds the universe together. But that's not what we're reading about here in this text. The reason we praise God is because God is a living being. He is a person. He creates. He communicates. He plans. He provides. He judges. He rescues. He regenerates. He forgives. It's no wonder then in Acts chapter 14 that the encouragement comes to those who are encountering the true and living God. They are told to turn from these vain idols and turn to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. You see, God is a personal God. His, his, our personhood is a reflection of His personhood. And therefore, God can be known. The Lord can be trusted. The Lord, therefore, is one that we can uh, engage in a relationship with him. And that is the one that we're called to praise. He's not only a person, a living being, but the Lord here is described in his name, the Lord or Yahweh, as one who is self-existent. Self-existent. This term, Yahweh, reminds us that God was not created by anything and was never created by anyone else. 
He wasn't caused or somehow um, designed by someone else and brought into being. No, God answers to no one, therefore. And He is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us in any way to help Him or somehow to complete Him as if He is deficient. You see, someone says, well, what, why should I be praising God so much? Is He like a person that needs uh, you know, help because He's so insecure and He's dependent on all these creatures of His to somehow build up and boost His self-esteem? No! That's not the case at all. He is self-existent. And I've given you a quote in your notes there by the uh, famed and sort of a well-read pastor of the 20th century, A.W. Tozer, said, Were all human beings suddenly to become blind, still the sun would shine by day and the stars by night. For these stars and um, the sun owe nothing to the millions who benefit by their light. So were every man on earth to become an atheist, it could not affect God in any way. He is what he is in himself without regard to any other. To believe in him adds nothing to his perfections. To doubt him takes nothing away. He is self-existent. Indeed, we are encouraged to praise God, not because he needs our praise, but because he alone has always been. He alone is the one who continues to be. He alone will always be complete and sufficient in himself. Therefore, he is worthy to be praised. The one that we're called to praise not only is a living being who is self-existent, but he also, thirdly, is he's a a God who is unchanging. The name Yahweh, I am who I am reminds us that God is always the same. In the book of Malachi, we read Malachi chapter 3, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Change really is part of human existence, isn't it, for us? We change so much throughout our lives. I see it in our grandson. Every time we see him now, he is dramatically changed from the time we saw him before. You and I don't look like we're changing much, but we're changing, believe it or not. And think about it. The flux of change that is constantly going on, our bodies are changing, our behavior changes. We change our thoughts and our outlooks change. Even our attitude changes. We see this so clearly now in our experience as we're downsizing and preparing to sort of get rid of some things and realizing that we've collected far too many possessions in this season of life. And you come across things and you say, why am I saving this? This is trash. This is just, look at the dust on this thing. You know, you say to yourself, why do I have this? And so out into the recycle bin it goes. And then you, and then you come across a photograph that makes you laugh or sort of cringe at the same time. You look at a photograph of yourself and you go, oh, why was I wearing that outfit? I used to wear a white belt years ago. I thought it was the coolest thing along with bell bottoms, you know, and these strange shoes and hair down in your eyes, you know, and you're like, oh, what are you thinking, man? And you look at these things and you say to yourself, well, that was the style at the time. But we've changed. And yet God does not change. The Lord is like a rock 
unchanging, forever the same. Oh, how he deserves to be praised. He is not fickle. He's the same throughout the ages. He is worthy to be praised because he is reliable and he's trustworthy because he doesn't change. He is the covenant-keeping God whose promises are never broken. And that's when he encountered, Moses had an encounter with God and he says, I want to see your glory. And Moses says, I am Yahweh. That is my covenant-keeping name that I'm telling you that I've never been known by that until now. You'll see the evidence of my covenant-keeping in my dealing with the children of Israel. It's no wonder the psalmist calls us to join with other people of God to praise our personal God. Rather than devaluing Him, rather than diminishing a sense of reverence and honor and a sense of appreciation for Him as God, Sometimes as we go through difficulties in life, sometimes as we go through the disappointments of life, sometimes as we go through life and things are not working the way you thought things should have worked, it's easy to sort of have our view of God become diminished. We don't have much desire to praise God. It reminds me of the difference between looking through a telescope with the lens, the eye lens being close to you and the, uh, and the far away larger lens being away from you. I remember we borrowed one of those uh, large telescopes when I was probably in grade school. And we set it up in our front yard in West Virginia and we looked up into the heavens and we saw Jupiter and we saw a tiny little moon around Jupiter. I mean, it's amazing the kind of magnification going on there. And uh, we used to take it and look across the valley. We're on top of a hill. We're looking across the valley to the other side of town. And you could see a guy sitting in his car smoking a cigarette with that, that telescope. It was amazing, the magnification. But if you turn it around and you look from the larger end of the telescope and try to look the other way, you can't hardly see anything. It doesn't, it's designed to work the other way. And sometimes when we go through our experience, we use that as a lens to which to interpret God and look at God, and we've lost sight of who He is. And so that's why Scripture calls us time and time again, remember who He is. He is Yahweh. He is worthy of my praise. He's worthy of your praise. He is the one who is not changing in the midst of all of your changes that you face in life. We as a church face significant changes as what is going to happen moving forward. We as individuals are facing changes. We as families constantly face change. But we can praise God that He is the unchanging one. And therefore, we can rely upon Him, no matter what. He is the self-sufficient one, who therefore is not going to use you and then discard you, as some people do in this society in which we live. No, He will never do that. 
And he is a God who will never be exhausted after he's helped you and helped you and helped you and helped you again and helped you again and forgiven you and cleansed you and picked you up and put you back on your feet. He will never wear out helping his children. No matter how many times he helps them, no matter how many of his children he helps, he is the one who's never lacking in strength and grace to help his people. And so we praise him. Praise him and praise him. There's another interesting insight in this text found in the first verse. I find it interesting that he answers the question, who is to praise the Lord? He describes the kind of attitude and outlook a person should have in properly praising the Lord. If it's true, and it is true, that God has created all things and that He is the only authorized owner of the world, and He's the only person who really should properly have authority over everything that happens in the world, in the governing of His world, to be in charge of the world, it's amazing to think that that kind of statement makes a lot of us nervous or uncomfortable. Or sometimes we are feeling like, ah, absolute power tends to sort of corrupt. And absolutely, isn't that sort of, I've heard that before. But for God, that doesn't apply. Why? Because God, as the absolute sovereign over His universe, He always does what's best for His subjects. Always. And so, as His subjects, we're called to live under His loving, holy authority. So look what he says there in verse 1. The psalmist encourages his readers, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Servants of the Lord. He seems to suggest here that Part of praising God involves an attitude and an outlook has a proper view of ourselves. And oftentimes we like to sort of see ourselves in a more lifted up position than sometimes is really properly proper or appropriate, given the fact that God in all of his greatness owns and is the sovereign ruler of all things. Sometimes we have concluded in our minds that obeying the commands of our sovereign king doesn't, doesn't really seem very appealing to us. But we've been sold a bill of goods. Because obeying God's commands doesn't ruin our lives. Matter of fact, 1 John 5 says that his commands are not burdensome. They don't rob us of life. They direct us into the fullness of life. You see, God's commands are really not the problem. The problem is our hearts. Our hearts, oftentimes, are hearts that have become defiant. And we like to be the one who is in charge. We like to be the one who calls the shots. We like to be the one who sort of... uh, live by our own rules and to be in charge of things. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need a Rescuer. Because we 
oftentimes are pursuing the things that we believe will help us achieve what we sort of own as our own idolatrous desires. We look for things around us to satisfy us when they will never fully satisfy us. Only God will. And being a servant of God, when we have that kind of mindset and that kind of attitude, we assume the proper position in life under God and His sovereign reign and rule, it helps us gain perhaps the proper respect and admiration that we would have for being the privilege of being His servant of such a wonderful, absolutely perfect sovereign and king of the universe. I wonder how many times in the recent past you've reflected on how dependent you are on God. How often do you consciously think to yourself about the fact that God is the one who keeps you and sustains you and preserves you and it's not the other way around? That you really are dependent upon Him. Boy, for me, it was that incident in my aorta when all of a sudden I was fine and working out in a workout room in a hotel in New Orleans. And next thing you know, I'm in an ER and they're thinking that I possibly uh, have something major wrong with my heart and, and got strange symptoms going on. I thought to myself, I could have died. The guy says, if it had been this, you would not have survived. At that moment, I became very conscious of how weak I am, unable to control how many days I live or don't live. And so, looking in this text, I find it interesting that the psalmist includes this phrase, servants of the Lord, because that is a, a proper way of understanding our role in the world is to serve God with delight, with a sense of, yeah, that makes sense. I'm here to serve you not the other way around. Matter of fact, when you read Luke, it's fascinating to see Jesus' statement where he has a parable and he talks about those who are out serving all day. And he, he says, well, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. That's really our position in life is that we're here, we exist to serve and help you, God, accomplish your desires and your plans. We are definitely not the master of Yahweh, he is our master. He is our Lord. And notice, if that's true, if we have a sense of being a servant, notice that being a servant is not something we do only in certain contexts of life or only certain times of the day or only certain days of the week, certain phases of our life. I we say, well, that's the years I serve the Lord. Notice what he says here regarding when we are to praise God, when we are to have a proper view of Him as our sovereign master. Lord. Verse 3, it involves everyone and everywhere. We're all encouraged to join in this chorus of praise. He says, from the rising of the sun, from the first moment you're aware that you are alive and that you are facing a new day, to the, rising, to the setting of the sun, the name of the Lord is to be praised. I take that to mean always and everywhere. No matter where you live, no matter where you work, no matter where you're going at any time of the day or any day of the week, God's praise is to be on our lips and in our hearts. 
don't know about you, but that's not where I live every day. But that's what God calls us to. And no matter what we're doing and where we are, imagine how different life would be if that were the reality coming out of our hearts to God. I'm your servant. Here I am. You've given me another day at the beginning of this day to the end of this day. I'm here to praise you, God. Thirdly, and notice in this text, he gives us a couple more fascinating reasons as to why we should praise the Lord. And I just want to draw those out very quickly here. Verses 4 and 5. Notice how the psalmist refers to the transcendence of Yahweh, of the Lord. He says, The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above the heavens. Who is like Yahweh, our God, who is enthroned on high? Notice that one of these attributes to which the psalmist identifies as a reason to praise the Lord is that He is high and lifted up. He is one who reigns. He is the one who has dominion over all the nations all the peoples of the world. And so many of us, it seems to me, need to be taught the lesson that Nebuchadnezzar, who was a very powerful king in his day, but boy, he was brought low until he became aware of an important lesson in Daniel chapter 4, verse 17, where he concluded, having been humbled by God, the Most High rules over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. What's he saying? He's saying that God is high and lifted up above all the political powers in our little puny world. That he appoints one ruler for a period of time, and then he'll replace that ruler after a period of time. And no one can overthrow God. No one can steal from him his reign over all things. His supremacy cannot be undone by any human parliament who takes a vote and says, okay, you're, you're done. You no longer have any kind of political power or clout. No, it cannot be undone by military might. Somebody who has a coup and somebody who has their army, they raise up and say, okay, no longer are you in charge. Now we're in charge. We have all of the, 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 the uh, tanks and the guns and whatever to reinforce our ability to take charge. No, everything ultimately is under the reign and rule of Almighty God, Yahweh, and it ultimately serves His purposes. And sometimes we need to be reminded that we, what we once celebrated and proclaimed, maybe at one time in our life, that we affirmed that with our mind maybe, but maybe in our hearts, have had a hard time accepting that truth. Certainly that was true of the people of God. They went through times of great triumph and seeing God work and His great mighty delivering power shown to them on their behalf. And then there were times in their experience, I think of the time during their captivity when they were really under the harsh rule of foreign nations and God seemed a million miles away because even the temple was destroyed and lay in ruins. So what does God do? He speaks to his people through the prophets, because I'm sure you there was a time when they were not very much praising God. And he says through Isaiah chapter 40, a fascinating passage, if you want to reread the whole time, reread it another time in its fullness. But looking at verse 27 following of Isaiah 40, 
Why do you say, O people of God, my way is hidden from Yahweh? Why do you say that you somehow your path in life has escaped the notice of Yahweh? And the justice due to me escapes the notice of my God. Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, Yahweh, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary. To him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, the vigorous young men stumble badly. Yet those who wait for Yahweh will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. What's he saying? I think what he's saying is that being reminded of God's sovereign supremacy and his transcendence, that he is the one who reigns on high. There's none greater than he. He is in sovereign control of all things. Even things that are difficult and disappointing. He is still remains God, King over all, worthy of praise. But He also is a God who not only is in His transcendence to be praised, but His condescension is another reason that we praise Him. Notice verses 6-9. through Yahweh humbles Himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes, with princes of his people. He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. It's interesting that he refers to people who are poor, in the dust, in abject poverty, having nothing. He also then mentions a barren woman who in that culture was someone who was looked at as if, what is wrong with you, woman? A person that lived in shame, a person that lived with a sense of incompleteness in her existence of not being able to bear children. And yet God is worthy to be praised because not only is He transcendent in His rule, but He steps down into the world of the nobodies of the world. He actually gets involved and is concerned about the people in the, in the small affairs of life. He enters into the personal, problem-filled world where you and I live every day. He's not just the God up in the heavens. He's a God who's also concerned about the intricacies of what happens in this broken world we live in. He doesn't ignore us or overlook us. Because often people seem baffled that the God who made the vast universe, who is enthroned on high would take an interest in my little puny world that I live in or the world of a poor person who has nothing, who has achieved nothing, who has nothing to offer anyone else. The person who, who lacks status, the person who perhaps lives in shame, is embarrassed. How is it that God, who has no unmet needs, the God who is in control of all things. How is it that He is so in, involved and concerned about my needs and the situation I face? It leaves you sort of scratching your head, doesn't it? 
that God would be both of those, the transcendent one and the one who is condescending. And yet that's really what we're reminded as we head into our Advent season is that this is the God who is concerned with people like you and I who perhaps in the eyes of the world we're insignificant. God is the one who is concerned about helping us with our pain, our problems, even our postponements. The world tends to define us based on our worth. And our worth is gauged by our looks, by our performance, by our IQ, by our talent, by their socioeconomic status that we have, how much wealth we've acquired. But can there be anything much more remarkable than the demonstration of God condescending, coming down into this world and telling us that He loves us enough that His own Son becomes one of us? Living in the world that He made. And that this same God, who reigns in endless glory, in the person of Christ, set aside the glory that Christ had and then Christ rightfully humbles himself. He becomes, in a sense, the nobody in the world. He's the one who is, is, endures the death that you and I deserved on that cross. How is it that this eternal Prince of Peace would take on the form of a slave and a bondservant, that he himself would become the servant, and that he would die under the curse of my sin and your sin? What kind of God would do that? I'll tell you who it is. A God who's worthy to be praised. Praised by you and praised by me. He is not just the Lord. He calls us to say, praise my Lord and my God. Is that your response today? Can you say, yes, Lord, I want to praise you. You are my God. You are Yahweh, you are the Lord over all, and you are my Lord. The one who is self-existent, the one who is indeed a personal God, the one who is not lacking in anything. One of the reasons that I find this so compelling, I came across an article this week that talked about how being, a, being involved in the process of ongoing praising of God and thanking Him is such a helpful preventative measure to keep us from many other spiritual ailments and difficulties that we so easily find ourselves in. Consider this list. If we are a people who are thanking God and praising Him as a regular lifestyle, it's much more hard to be fearful of circumstances or people because we know God's in control. If we are people who are thanking and praising God on a regular basis, it's less likely you're going to be devastated by criticism because you know God has loved you and He's accepted you. If you're thankful, it's so much harder to be cynical and sarcastic about life because you know that God ultimately has good purposes in mind. It's much harder to be proud. It's much more harder to be self-righteously angry if you're thanking and praising Him it's harder to be bitter and unforgiving because you just don't feel the need to hang on to all that. If you're thanking Him and praising Him as a regular expression of your 
heart, it's just impossible to be hopeless if that's your way of living. It's much harder to be demanding and fixated on your problems or to be greedy and envious or whatever it is, overwhelmed when you're wrong. When your heart is lifted up and you've assumed the proper role of being a servant before Almighty God, a lot of things begin to fit together and you get in sync with the rest of the world and you realize this is why I exist, is to make much of Him and to praise and exalt Him. Let's do that and pursue that together. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come today acknowledging that we we need to hear this reminder. Lord, I need to hear this reminder. It's so tempting to become caught up in our own little world, to want to be kings, to want to rule over the world and make it work the way we think it ought to work. It's so easy, Lord, to have our minds focused on ourselves, to have an elevated view of ourselves and our importance, and to be valuing all the wrong things in life. So, Lord, thank you for this reminder today from your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us, even in the names you've chosen for yourself. Thank you for reminding us that you are Yahweh. And that as Yahweh, you still condescend down into a level of concern where we are, and what we do, and what we're involved in, the struggles that we face. And that you're here to help us in our hearts to turn us away from ourselves and from our own stupidity and, and uh, evil and twisted and distorted, deceived thinking, and that you are turning us to realize that what we're meant to be is people who love you and enjoy you, make much of you, and have our hearts satisfied in you. So, Father, my prayer is for anyone today who's here. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who has never even thought of your worthiness to be praised, who's never really faced the fact that our hearts are so out of line with you, realizing that we need a Savior, I pray even today, Lord, that they would come to Christ and find Christ to be the one who would give them a new heart and create them and transform them on the inside out so that they might join with the rest of us who know you in offering up our thoughts and hearts of praise to you. Lord, we exalt you, we honor you, we bless you. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.